Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Since Oregon legalized recreational cannabis in 2014, the industry has gone through cycles of boom and bust. Recently, oversupply has caused prices to drop and local businesses are suffering. Adding to all that, legal cannabis farming continues to grow and negatively impact the legal market. But now the DEA is in talks with Congress about rescheduling the drug, which could change to the cannabis market on a federal level. So is it happening? Are we finally going to legalize it? Is Representative Earl Blumenauer finally going to get high? So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Willamette Week's Potlander column author, Brianna Wheeler. She's bringing us up to speed with what's going on in the cannabis world and what it's going to take to save Oregon's cannabis industry. It's Thursday, January 11th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. I feel like we've had you on so many times in our Friday roundups, but we've never actually had you on to discuss a story from your actual beat. Um, My personal beat is a little more consumer-facing, but I chase after the reporters as they report on more of the like newsy side of the cannabis situation. But also because of my beat, I think I get to have like more personal conversations with um, proprietors, owners, farmers, because mm-hmm. I'm not like hard news. I'm like, oh, let's talk to me about real stuff. Mm. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, so the retail price of cannabis has fallen from $10 a gram to less than four bucks, which is insane. <laughs> That's like 90s high school prices. Like, what's causing the oversupply? <laughs> like, how, it's like half oregano, half weed prices. Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah. How is cannabis so insanely cheap right now? I know. Ay, ay, ay. Well, it's kind of a perfect storm that's happening. It's kind of been building up and building up. So mm-hmm. we've had oversupply. That kind of happens in this state. We've got an r- exceptional growing climate unlike any place else in the world, and it overproduces. What are you going to do? And we had a robust season this year, but we also have declining retail sales. And this kind of chaotic retail industry that is at right now seeing a lot of volatile change. Mm-hmm. So producers, farmers, they're lamenting like record amounts of overdue invoices, um, all of a sudden, the barriers to entry have been like fortified, um, oh, wow. for for lack of a better term. So, a smaller manufacturers, smaller producers, uh, are having to abandon their businesses. Hence, these uh, invoices that go un- unchecked. Things like uh, smaller businesses being gobbled up by corporations and kind of disappearing. So it's just kind of this this storm that essentially equates to way, way too much weed than there are people to smoke it. 
you would think that that would be in the best interest of the farmer to figure that out on their end. <laughs> Do you remember, like, I don't know if you remember this, but the, like there was like this dairy oversupply and they were just throwing milk in the gutter. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, it's interesting that hasn't happened yet. But I mean, if and here's the other question I have. If legal farmers are taking a hit with the oversupply, how is illegal cannabis farming in Oregon still going strong? You think that oversupply would squash all that? Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, that's easy. Crime. Uh, legal farmers, they're stuck in a regulatory system that mm-hmm. black market farmers are not stuck in. Um, interstate commerce would really change the game for mm-hmm. legal farmers. Black market farmers do not have to deal with that. But it's a tight squeeze for everybody. Even illegal, you know, black market farmers, like they're experiencing this squeeze as well. And I don't want to show like all my cards, you know, but I, I have shared space uh, with farmers who kind of straddle that line, that operate mm-hmm. in those gray areas. And it has not been rosy for them. And I think a big part of that is several of these farmers are what we would refer to as legacy market farmers. So they were farmers before Oregon went recreationally legal. Mm-hmm. And I have acquaintances that have really tried, have really tied themselves up in knots to appease the regulatory system, to go legit, to do it in the way that Oregon wants them to do it, and have found it to be just too much, too hard, too expensive, too asinine. Uh, So yes, a black market still exists because of that in their interstate commercing. There's a straight line from Oregon through uh, Idaho. Wyoming, Nebraska. And those states are still illegal. So mm-hmm. you can you can bet that those black market farmers, they've got a direct line to states with no type of, uh, you know, legal cannabis at all. So those markets are hungry for it. Yeah. I was reading up on it and it was laid out in this way. The illegal cannabis market is two things. It's legal growers who, like, as you noted, divert excess weed across state lines. And then there's the criminal syndicates that have always been there that mm. operate entirely outside the law. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming very difficult to distinguish between the two. And I find this interesting because when they're like, hey, let's legalize uh, cannabis in Oregon, it's going to – a big push, too, was like, we're going to get rid of these, you know, this, these crime syndicates. But because of the regulations – the you know our farmers aren't competitive, mm-hmm. and this is interesting because usually when uh, the government deregulates, so many there's a few ways that usually shakes out, and mainly it's supposed to be so the customer has like so there's more competition, the customer mm. doesn't have to pay as much, right? But this is like it's right now it's almost like we need to deregulate for the other reason, right? The customer needs to pay a little bit more for these farmers to actually be viable. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure you've been following. There are many illegal operations that are in Southern Oregon because Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, Southern Oregon, Northern California, those are like prime growing conditions. Yeah. There's nothing like that place in any anywhere in the world. That biome specifically doesn't exist anywhere but that little pocket of earth. It's interesting. So you're saying that even those crime syndicates, which does include the cartel. And I couldn't believe that. I was just like, all the way up here? (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? Like you're like, what are you doing? Get out of here. They're also feeling the squeeze or are they still just like business as usual, the money's rolling in? Well, I don't, um, (laughs) I'm not sharing space with cartels. Uh, So I am sharing space with like smaller farmers that 
do farm in those areas and are legacy market and tried to become legal and it didn't quite work for them. So there's a good handful of those people too. I'm not chasing after <laughs> cartels to ask them questions about, you know, how they're doing, you know, financially. Are you are you um, sure you're not? No, I'm asking like what Well, everybody... not that I'm going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking what everybody else is saying about it. Like, you know, there's rumors like I'm sure a, a semi-legal farmer would be like even the cartels are feeling the squeeze, you know? Mm, like yeah. what's the word on the street, Brianna? Are the cartels <laughs> feeling the pinch? Um uh, on my street the cartels are far more concerned with their fentanyl imports mm-hmm. and their hard drug imports because we decriminalized hard drugs. There's way more money to be made there. And um, I think that's what's happening. So even though I don't know that cannabis is that huge of a part of their like money-making scenario. Mm-hmm. But it's still out there. Totally. I mean, all the reasons that you just said was why I was just like, they still have cannabis operations. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, would legalizing cannabis federally actually help save the Oregon cannabis industry? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So last week, January 4th, it was reported that the DEA told Congress it's considering... Mm. easing marijuana restrictions, basically rescheduling it from a schedule one down to a three, which will bring it down from like heroin level to like steroids, which (laughs) honestly still feels- That's that's a great comparison. Yeah, really high. You know, how would this impact the market in the future, you think? Like if that were to happen, because I feel like Mm. this is the DEA is being like, all right, all right. Like everyone's like, legalize it. And they're just like, what if we just did this thing? Like, is that enough? Is that going to help the issue we're in? Wild. Um, It's so funny that the D is like, yeah, we're thinking about rescheduling. Meanwhile, most of the states have cannabis laws in place already. Like I said, like five states left that have no Mm -hmm. cannabis laws on the books. Everybody else is like, y'all, y'all. Y'all mm-hmm. taking too long. We're going to handle this. So, well, first of all, those states where it's just like zero tolerance, I mean, they're going to have to deal with what they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Ideally, at least limited access for medical patients as the eventual result of rescheduling with a drug that's regulated more like ketamine or codeine. Mm-hmm. Ugh, but at least, you know. So it would help those states. Basically, the states that don't even have legal cannabis would at least be able to have access to them within a medicinal form because like federally it's okay. That's what I'm hearing. And there's only what, like five or six more states that Oregon and California 
farmers can possibly offload all of their oversupply oh, to. Oh, easy. But like, let's offload these oversupplies to, besides Every, the states, yeah. everybody, because we got the best weed. But also, I want to note that that type of cultural shift where we're, it's just, you know, it's Schedule 3 now. I think that the impacts that we're going to see are going to be mostly in politics, criminal justice, mm -hmm. and then, of course, medicinal use and acceptance of cannabis as medicinal. But like political parties that are rooted in cannabis, like, uh, well, cannabis justice, you know, um, medical justice, social justice. Uh, so that could really open the field up politically. Because people could campaign on that then. Yeah, because like, hey, we already have it down to three. Possibly we could legalize it altogether. Um, so on that, on that tip, Earl Blumenauer and dozens of other lawmakers in both parties sent uh, DEA Administrator Anne Milgram a letter back in October. So this is before the DEA... Uh, was like, hey, how about we reschedule? But back in October, though, in all honesty, Blumenauer has been talking about this since the yeah. 70s. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back in October, they sent this letter calling for a full federal legalization. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that would be way better for the legal industry here in Oregon and yeah. California than just rescheduling down. But like, how much better? Um, I mean, imagine if Oregon could export our weed like we export our craft beer. Mm -hmm. It would be game-changing for our economy. But also, these conversations have been happening for so long. Now that we're talking about it, you know, here on this podcast, it's, it's a big national conversation. However, there's, we would still have to go through a process of FDA approval. And that could take years, millions of dollars, application fees. Oh, man, more regulation. Yes. Oh. Regulation is definitely like, strangles the industry as it is. So the idea of, uh, you know, federally legal cannabis, really putting this area of America, really increasing its ability to like really fucking cash in, uh, really blowing up the economy in a great way. Or we're going to be faced with what we were faced with during our original green rush, where some people are going to get super rich. Some people are going to get super exploited. So while we're having this conversation about federally legal cannabis, I feel like it's important as, a, as an Oregonian, as a cannabis enthusiast, that we stay kind of out front of it and we stay advocating for the industry that we want. Um, and we just get really loud about it. Mm -hmm. If we, like, figure out a way to make it amazing for our economy and not like five people that come here and buy, you know, all of Southern Oregon... Um, mm -hmm, and, you know, mm -hmm. two dudes get rich, which could very much happen. It would have to be up to the state in a sense to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. State regulators would have to figure that out to make sure that, you know, it's just not another thing that brings down our farmers. Exactly. Exactly. Well, before we wrap up, I was just curious, what's your favorite strain? Ooh. Oh, now, you know, I got no type. I love them all. <laughs> um, okay. A strain recommendation. Across the board, all the time, tangy phenotypes are, mwah, if you want to kind of like go up a little, like I got to clean my house. I got to mm. scrub the bathtub, whatever. You want to go to sleep? Blueberry. Smoke you some blueberry. Uh, blueberry, blueberry phenotype. Yeah. So are, are you saying tangy is more like sativa and blueberry is more like indica? Yes. But 
we're like, there's a conversation in the cannabis industry that's like, we're kind of more hybrid. It's like gender, man. Oh, it don't I mean see. Nothing. Yeah. You might have been born from these things. You might have been born this, but it doesn't make you that or whatever. You know, you, and also, that's the most interesting conversation. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the moment you brought gender into strain, I'm just like, hold up. I actually identify as an indica. I know that I am 7% sativa, <laughs> but I'm very mellow. So, okay, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, you were, you were making me uh, happy inside with this analogy. Go yeah. on. It's all just to say that uh, because I experienced tangy one way does not mean that you're going to experience tangy mm, one way. Same sense. thing with blueberry. Um, and so these names like indica, sativa, it doesn't really mean anything because our um, endocannabinoid systems, which we all have, uh, they all interact with cannabis in different ways. It's all about your body chemistry and what works with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Brianna. As always, it's a pleasure. Heck yeah, anytime. And now some fun events coming up this week. This Friday, OMSI is kicking off its annual Studio Ghibli Film Fest. Opening night features the 40th anniversary of Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. The fest is running through next month with screenings of 21 classic Ghibli films. I remember a few years ago, they partnered with a local chef to pair foods thematically at one of the screenings of Spirited Away, and it was awesome. I did get a bit of a stomachache, but overall, it was a great experience. Go to omsi.edu for more info. Also kicking off this weekend is the Portland Folk Festival. From Friday through Sunday at the Crystal Ballroom, you can catch over 20 folk acts like Thunderstorm Artists, Glitter Fox, or Shook Twins. Head over to portlandfolkfestival.com for details. And did you know Portlanders drink more cider per capita than anywhere else in the world? If you'd like to be part of that fun fact, Oregon Cider Week is starting this Saturday and going through the 21st. It's happening all over town, so check out OregonCiderWeek.com to get your game plan ready. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw all links in the show notes. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.